Well, hey, once again, good morning. Thanks again for being here. Excited what God's doing in the life of our church. And um, many of you, if you've been here, well, probably honestly not even if you don't, you don't have to be here that long to know that MLC, of course, it stands for Mountain Lake Church, but it also stands for... Exactly. More life change, because that's what we're about. Uh, that's exactly what, what we talked about, our, our mission, our vision, even a little bit last week. But, but that's our vision, to see and to create a place where life change stories are written every single week. So man, that's exactly what we're about. And we love seeing how God continues to do that in our, in our own personal and individual lives. We love hearing your stories. We love seeing what, what God's doing in, our, in the life of our church. And, and of course, the building's part of that, and that's usually what we, we go to first. But that's not the end all. I mean, as God continues to, to move in our lives and in the church's life and in even the life of our community, it's great to just be able to almost ride that wave a little bit. And, and if you know that Mountain Lake Church or MLC stands for More Life Change, you know that our life change stories have three parts. What's the first one? I was, yes. Two of you know that. All right. Everybody else write these down. I was. Oh, that's the important one. Yes. Then God and now now I am. Yes, those three parts. I was, then God, now I am. And we are spending an entire month through this series focusing on that middle part, then God, because that's what changes everything. It changes us when we have then God moments in our church. It changes our church. When a community experiences then God, it changes an entire community. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend time going through scripture, looking and finding and talking about those then God moments in scripture. And what are those then God moments we desire to see in our own lives? What are the then God moments God may be doing and, and working to do in your life? But also, what are, what are the then God moments in our church? Where is he taking us? Where is he leading us? And we see kind of that, that, those three parts throughout scripture. One of them, and we're going to use this passage throughout the entire series. So if you don't hear it today very well, you're going to hear it multiple times throughout the rest of this series. You don't have to turn there, but let me show you this. Isaiah chapter 43, starting verse 16. Here's what it says. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. He's talking about him rescuing and delivering the Israelites from Egypt. He's reminding his people of what he had done. Verse 17. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. Their lives snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. God in just a few lines shows that he flexes. <laughs> in just a few lines here, God is showing, yeah, when, when I want to do something, I do it. And he shows the Israelites their past. Remember what I've done. I was. And then he says, but look at this. Verse 18, but forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. And if you continue to read through that portion of Isaiah, God just begins to, to give a vision and paint a picture for where he's taking the Israelites. He says, remember what I did? It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Remember where you've been? Well, then God is happening and you'll never be the same. But I love that he asked this rhetorical question here. He says, see, I've already begun. I'm doing something new. I've already begun. Do you not see it? And that's a, obviously a rhetorical here, but I want us to begin to ask that question of ourselves. Do you see what God is doing new in your life? Do you see the then God moment that he is currently working on in your life, in your family's life, in the life of your kids, in the life of your spouse? Do you see the then God moment that he's working on, that he's, he's in the middle of, 
in the life of our church even. See, we have to be paying attention because he's wanting to do something new. He says, I've already started. Do you see it? Can you see it? See, those then God moments often are, are hindered. And it's not necessarily hindered by God, but more so hindered by us because we're not paying attention. We're not giving him that opportunity to, we're not inviting him in to create and to develop a then God moment in our own life. So the question I would begin with is, do you see what he's about to do? Do you see what he wants to do? He desires us to experience over and over and over and over again, then God. But we have to make sure that we are paying attention and giving him room to do these then God moments in our own lives. Now, it's no secret, I'm a pretty short individual. I've always been short. That's why they finally made us get a stage. Because they said, Brian, people cannot see. They see from here up. So, so we got a stage because I'm short. And, and I've always been, always been short. And, and you just learn to, to, to deal with that, right? There's, there's things that I just will never be able to reach. There's things that I will never be able to do. I will never be able to dunk a basketball. I will never be able to change the light bulb in my kitchen. Both of those are out of my reach. And, and because of that, in our home, Becky's relatively short too. So I had to marry somebody shorter than me. And uh, so in our, in our house, just like you do, you have high places, you have high cabinets. And uh, you may not have this, but, but we do because we're both short. We have stepladders in our house uh, because when I need to grab you know, plates off the top shelf, I have to go get a stepladder. And uh, I remember when we first brought a stepladder, and the kids think it's the coolest thing ever when we bring the stepladder in because they like playing on it. I'm like, this is actually degrading right now because I'm so short. I need these things. Um, but, but we have to have things like that because we all have a, a reach, right? And here's what I mean by that. It, right where you're at, I won't make you stand up, but just hold your hand up as far as you can hold it up. Now keep it up. That is your reach. I'm standing up. Here's my reach. And it doesn't matter. I mean, you might be able to get just a little bit more, but it doesn't matter how much you stretch and pray and hope. You're not going to be able to reach beyond your reach. Let's see how long you'll keep your hands up with me. I'm just kidding. You can put them down now. <laughs> That's as far as you're ever going to be able to reach. We're done growing. We cannot physically reach beyond this ever. And so that means in, in my environments, I'm aware of what I can and cannot reach, and I have to figure out a way to reach beyond that, or else it's just impossible for me. That's why, again, we have ladders. It's, well, if I need to reach up at the top cabinet, can't do it. So I have a ladder that allows me to reach beyond what I am naturally capable of reaching. Our faith is the exact same way. We all have a, a reach of our faith. We have reach in our belief so to speak, that says, I mean, I believe in God and I believe in his word. I mean, there's things that we believe, if you are a believer, that you would believe in God. And you have faith and, and those are all different for us. We each have a different place that we are at in our faith. So I'd encourage you to begin to think, where's your faith reach? Where's your faith limit? Where I've got faith, but there is a point where I, I just can't see that. Remember, that's what, Isaiah, what God's saying here in Isaiah. Do you see it? I just don't see how that's going to happen. I don't see how that's going to work. I can't wrap my mind around it. I can't just get a, I, I, I can't get my hands wrapped around this, whatever that this is. We all have a place where it's beyond our reach. It's beyond what we can see. It's beyond what we can understand. So we all have a level of faith. But what I want us to look at this morning is in order for then God to happen, we cannot rely on just where we have faith right now. We have to see how God is going to grow, how we can reach beyond 
how we can have faith beyond what we would have today. So if you do have your Bibles, I do want you to turn here. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, we get a story of Jesus interacting not just with disciples and some of the Pharisees briefly, but, but an individual that, as we're going to see, has a, a faith reach, a faith limit, and Jesus is going to challenge him in increasing that. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Uh, you need to know that currently, as we pick up this story in verse 14, just prior to, if you read, Jesus and his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, they were together, and now they're coming back down to meet with the rest of the disciples, and as we're going to see, there's kind of a commotion happening. It says here, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, that's Jesus, Peter, James, and John, when they joined the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Jesus says, what are you arguing with them about? He asked. And a man from the crowd spoke up and answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. An interesting scene that Jesus walks in on. He's walking in with his three closest, sees that there's an argument actually that is developed here. And you got the disciples and the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, they're arguing. We're not sure. Scripture doesn't tell us what they're arguing over, but we would assume it would have something to do with the situation of a father who has a possessed son that is being tortured by this spirit. And the disciples could not heal him. So Somewhere in that, there is an argument that is broken out and the community has all come out and is watching the disciples and the Pharisees arguing. And you have this father who's trying to get his son healed. Quite an ordeal. And Jesus walks into it and says, what is going on? And before anybody else speaks up, the dad says, here's where this all started. I just want someone to help my son. Your disciples couldn't do it. And look at what Jesus says next. Here's Jesus' response. Verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, Jesus most certainly is kind and compassionate and love and gracious and merciful. He's also a little sarcastic and annoyed at times. (laughs) Where he says, are you serious? And we don't know who he directed this comment at. We don't know if he's talking to his disciples specifically, the religious leaders or the teachers of the law, the dad, or just in general, the crowd. But he, before addressing anything else, says, you unbelieving generation, how long do I have to keep walking with you and suffering with you and dealing with this? You've got to, basically what he's saying is you've got to start believing on your own. You've got to get past just what you think and what you feel and what you believe. You've got to get past that, you unbelieving generation. Now, what's interesting is this is not the first time that we've seen Jesus correlate a a lack of miracles with belief and faith. In fact, in Matthew, different story, totally different account, different location even. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, explains what happened when another town had a lack of faith. It says this, and he, talking about Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their lack of what? 
lack of faith. And that took place, and that account in Matthew was in Jesus' hometown. They didn't believe he was the Son of God. They didn't believe. They couldn't understand. They couldn't, they couldn't see that he truly is the Messiah. So because of their lack of faith, Jesus was unable to do any miracles. There's many miracles there. See, there's this correlation between God's power and our faith. Now, God's power is not the problem, as we're going to see. It ends up being a focus on our lack of faith. So he says, you unbelieving generation, you've got to figure this out. You've got to make this faith on your own. You've got to get beyond yourselves. He says, bring the boy to me. Verse 20. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But look at this, this, this plead of a father. Last part of verse 22. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus looks at the boy, sees what's happening, and the father responds, man, it's been like this from childhood. Now, we don't know how long that had been. But we would make the assumption that if he's saying from childhood that this boy has grown up dealing with this for quite a while, whatever, those, whatever that amount of time is, we don't know, but it has not just been, well, it started last week and we're not sure what to do with it. It's been a while. So it's happened from childhood and I just don't know what to do anymore. And that plea from a father, I mean, as a dad, I, and any dads here, you could imagine saying something very similar. Jesus, I've tried everything. We have seen everyone. We have prayed everything. Nothing is working. But if you could do, and remember what that word was, if you could do anything, if you can just do anything, just something is better than nothing. He's not even asking for a full healing here. He's just, if you could just do anything, just help him. If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Now, if you've been as part of this church, and if you've been able to hear me talk with you all on at least a few occasions, you know I'm a little bit of a Bible geek when it comes to the original language and the original words here. And, and I tell you, everybody needs to have a favorite Bible Greek word, right? And we see one of mine here. Anybody remember my, fi- my favorite? Oh, yeah, good job, good job. You do remember. So here it is. This word pity, this word pity, literally the, the original language is splagnitsoma. Splagnitsoma, you're very close. Splagnitsoma, I know it's a tough one. Splagnitsoma. And what that means, it's a good thing you're not here for the 9.30, you're a little bit later in the day, so I apologize in advance, but it means the inner bowels. That's what that word means. So he says, Jesus, if you can do anything, and he uses this word, have splagnitsoma on us, help us. What he's saying is, have such deep compassion. That word, it's inner bowels, it's the most moving type of compassion moved to compassion. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, just be moved to help us to do something. Anything is better than nothing. The final plea of a desperate father trying to find help for his son. Here's what Jesus says. Verse 23. Excuse me, if you can. Remember what the dad just asked? If you can do anything, have splat, needs to have compassion on us, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus replies, once again, a little sarcastic, maybe even a little frustrated. Verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. If you can, did I hear you right? 
You're saying, if I can do anything about this, if you can. And now Jesus uses this next word. And, and again, I'm going to give you another Greek Bible word here. He uses, what was this one? Do you remember? Every, what was it? Put it back on the screen so they can read it. If you can, there it is. Everything is possible if you believe. Now, that word everything, if you look again into the Greek, you look at the word, it's the word pas, P-A-S. That's what that word everything. And literally, we learned what splog needs, so that means. Literally, that word, that Greek word pas, it literally means, and this is a good one to write down. So write this down, make a note of it. It'll be a good one to remember. It literally means everything. It's exactly what it means. All things, all encompassing. Yes, I do have a Bible degree, if you're wondering. That's what that word means. So Jesus intentionally, remember what the dad said? He said, if you can do anything, just something, anything is better than nothing. And here Jesus says, wait, wait, wait. If I can? No, no, no. Everything, all encompassing, all things, everything is possible for the one who believes. Jesus is saying, it's not just something I can do. No, no, everything. Not just a few anythings here. No, everything is possible for one who believes. Once again, we see that correlation between God's power and our faith. Belief tends to be the problem, not the power of God. So he said, Jesus, again, replies, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. It's an issue of faith. God's power is, is present. That's not changing. It's the faith our faith that tends to go up and down and up and down in the situation and in the circumstance. If you were to, to see my, my middle son, Cole, who's two and a half, at the end of summer when we were playing at the pool, you'd see that as a two and a half year old, he is maybe more brave around the pool than he really should be. I mean, he, as soon as we get there, it's kind of like, I've got to hold on. It's like, wait, wait, wait. We get you know, shoes off and then you just let him go and just, he takes off, jumps in the pool, no floaty or anything. I mean, he is you know, like he needs a healthy amount of fear, and he does not have that whatsoever. He is all excited, loves being in the pool. He's, he's done a pretty good job, even as a two-and-a-half-year-old, learning to swim, but he'll jump in, he'll do his cannonballs, and then kind of sort of make his way to, to the side of the pool. Now, you compare that picture of Cole to the beginning of this summer, just a couple months prior, you will see a totally different boy. When we first started the summer and would take our kids to the pool, Cole would have his life jacket, his little floaty on, and he would be sitting on the steps over by the pool and practically holding onto the edges of the pool. And I would say, Cole, come on, I, you know, I'll carry you and hold you. No. Well, here, you've got your floaty on. You're not going to sink. I'll, I'll help you. I'll be right here with you. I won't go anywhere. No. I mean, he wasn't budging. I was like, well, maybe we just need to get him to like just jump in and go from there. So I said, okay, well, come over here. You don't have to get in the pool, but stand on the, stand on the ledge. So I got him to stand on the ledge. I'm in the pool. And I said, Cole, you've got your floaty on. I'm right here. Daddy's here. I promise I'm not going to let anything happen to you. Jump and I will catch you. No. So I, I start going into parenting. I was like, okay, I can do this. And so I start to rationalize with a two-year-old because that's great parenting advice. So I say, all right, Cole, look, daddy's a good swimmer. Watch what I can do. And I start treading water. I start swimming. I go underwater. And I'm like, I'm a good swimmer, so I would never let anything happen to you. So jump in. No. So I started thinking, okay, rationalizing didn't work. Shocker. So then I turned to peer pressure, because that's always a good idea to encourage your kids to give in to peer pressure. I say, Cole, look at your brother. 
Look, Connor, jump in for him. And so Connor, he's fine. He's jumping in, doing cannonballs and all sorts of things. I was like, look, Connor can do it. He's fine. See how I helped Connor? He's okay. Now you do that. You can do it too. No. So then I pulled out the last resort. I said, Cole, look at every other boy and girl in this pool. Everybody is doing this except you. So jump in. And he says, no. And we went on and on for weeks into the summer. He would not get in the pool. I couldn't get him to jump in. I couldn't get him to swim. He hated it. It was, again, it was probably six weeks, about middle of the summer. Something changed. And we're in the pool. I was like, well, we'll try again. Cole, do you want to get in the pool? Okay. I'm like, what? <laughs> I like, what just happened? I said, okay, let's count to three. One, two, three. He runs and he jumps in. He has a great time and he's a great, he loves being in the pool now. Now, what's interesting is what got him to jump in finally. It was not my abilities that changed. My, me being there never changed. The fact that Connor and everybody else, I mean, nothing changed except his willingness to jump. And I couldn't tell you what it was. It just something flipped and he said, I'm ready. See, understand God's power, his, his being there, his presence does not change. And so often he's saying, jump, I've got you. And we're like, well, let, 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 me, let me see you do this first. I mean, it's trying to him rash, I've I've got, look, look how, look at the scripture. Look at everybody that I have taken care of. Look at all the faithfulness. No. (laughs) And something's got to switch or flip in us that we finally say, okay, God's there. He is always there. And that is never going to change. He is faithful. So I got to jump. We have to be willing to grow that faith knowing that God's power is always and is still there. That's what Jesus is getting here. If you can, of course I can. You just have to believe in me. If I can, that's that's not in question. You just have to believe. So once again, Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Verse 24, look at what the father says. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe. I do. I believe in you or I wouldn't have brought my son here. I do believe Jesus, but help me in my unbelief. Now, on the surface, it seems like that statement, that that sentence there is contradicting itself. I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I believe, but not really. But understand, faith and doubts can live together. They most certainly can. We can have faith, but also have Doubts. We can have belief, but maybe not always. Remember our reach? Our faith has a reach. That's called a faith limit where, hey, I believe. And like I said, we're all in different places in our faith where we might be here and say, hey, I believe here. Oh, Jesus, you're asking for up there? Ah, man, I don't see how that's going to happen. I don't see how that's going to work. I, I can't believe that. I, I don't have faith in that. Faith and doubt most certainly can coexist even outside of our relationship with God. I was asking, I was trying this out. I asked Becky earlier this week. I said, hey, what kind of faith do you have in me as a husband, as in our marriage and, and just in our family dynamic? What kind of faith do you have in me? And she thought that was kind of an odd question. It's for a sermon. Just go with it. And so she said, okay, well, I have, I have faith that you'll always love me. She said, I have faith that you'll never leave me. I have faith that you'll, you'll always put our family first. I have faith that you'll do whatever you need to do to provide for our family. And I'm like, pretty good husband and dad. Those are all very true. Absolutely. Then I did something I probably shouldn't have done. I said, well, where do you doubt me? Where are some areas that you don't have a lot of faith in me? 
And I'll tell you, she started to answer these extremely quickly. Like, I, I asked, slow down just a little bit. And she started rattling them off. Well, your directions. You are not good at navigating. If it wasn't for me, you would just be lost. Who knows where you would end up? And I'm like, okay, I'll write that one down. And she's like, and with the kids, like, you know, I have faith that you love the kids, but you most certainly cannot dress the kids. I, I doubt your ability to dress our children and make them look presentable. And I'm like, okay. And so I'm kind of right. And she's good. She notices the, the look on my face. She says, do you want me to keep going? And I said, no, that's plenty. <laughs> Thank you, though. But you can see that. There's, she has faith in me, and I have faith in her, of course. But there is a reach, isn't there? There's an area, there's a level where we're like, oh, beyond that, I don't have faith anymore. Beyond that, I have some doubts. That's exactly what's happened here with this father. Jesus, I believe in you to this much. But what you're suggesting is much greater than that. I can't see that. I don't know how to get there. And what tends to happen as Christians, especially as believers, we feel bad about that gap. We feel guilty for having a gap in our faith. We don't need to feel guilty at all. It's called discipleship. It's called growing in our faith. And what this father does is wonderful. I do believe, but I need some help getting to where you want me to be. We have limits in our faith, and if we want to experience these then-God moments, we need to recognize that God's power is there and will always be there. He's ready. He's waiting on our faith. He's waiting on our faith, and our faith, as we said, has limits. So I want you to start thinking about where, where is that threshold for you? Here's how you would figure it out. Start just thinking through, or maybe a good exercise between you and God this week is to begin to even write out, I believe that. And start just writing things that you believe about God, things that you have faith in God about. I believe that God loves me. I have faith that it was God that sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. And that I believe that he is alive. I believe that my sins are forgiven. I have faith that he will come again. I have faith that I'll spend eternity with him. You could go through and just start writing what you have faith in and what you believe in. Then the next part of this is crucial because then you start doing the same thing, but with doubts. God, I doubt that you fill in the blank. Don't worry. He's a big boy. He can handle you expressing your doubts. You're not going to hurt his feelings. I doubt that. I don't have faith that. And you'll begin to see where that threshold in your faith is and where there is that gap where we say, I believe, but I can't reach that yet. God, you've got to help me get to a place where I can reach what I would not be able to reach on my own. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. And Jesus does just that. If you continue to read through the rest of the passage, verse 25 through 29, you'll see that Jesus does. He brings the boy over and he heals the boy and he explains what had happened to his disciples. But what I want us to look at is, is how, do we, how do we allow God to grow our faith? Because again, we all have a reach. We all have a, a spiritual faith limit. And what God is wanting to do, the then God moments are way up there. And I can't reach them, you can't reach them with the faith that we have today. We need to have God somehow get us moving up so that we can finally get to a place where we would never have been on our own. So here, if you want to write these down, I'd encourage it or uh, we'll post these on social this week. But four things I want to point out to you based on Mark 9. First is without God, we cannot believe the way we need to believe. Without God, we cannot believe the way we need to believe. And it sounds like an obvious statement, but you got to make your faith your own. Sometimes we, we grow up in church or it's just the thing to do. And so, okay, I believe in God. 
Great. Scripture says even the demons believe there is a God. (laughs) What else do you believe? What else do you have faith in? It's those next levels all the way up. It's that beyond our own reach. We have to have an intimate, deep, meaningful, real, and authentic relationship with God. And through that, our faith can begin to grow. We cannot do it on our own. What you can obtain on your own is what you can obtain on your own. That's not going to change. God has to grow our faith. He's the one that has to supernaturally move in and increase and grow our faith. We cannot do it on our own. There's no amount of good deeds you can do that will just magically grow your faith. It requires God coming in and growing it on our behalf. Psalm 73 verse 26 points this out. It says, My flesh and my heart may fail. Been there. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In other words, we will fail. We cannot sustain. There's going to be moments where we have great faith and moments where we have very low faith. Would you agree that this father, in this moment of lacking faith, he's in a crisis moment? Would you agree with that? Absolutely. He's on his, he's just, he's at at the end. He doesn't know what else to do for his son. And we tend to have lower faith moments in those crises crises and tragic moments. So we cannot rely on ourselves. We have to rely on God, who is the strength of my, part, my heart and who is my portion forever. We need God to fill in that gap of our faith between our reach and where he wants us and needs us to be. No amount of our stretching ourselves is going to get there. He has to do it. We need God to help us believe the way we need to believe. Second one is start with the faith you have and then ask God to grow it, stretch it, strengthen it, and sustain it. Start with what you have. And I love that this father did just that. He says, I believe, and I believe in you. I wouldn't be here, but I'm kind of like right here, Jesus. And you're asking me to be way up there. Help me with that. Grow my faith. Stretch it. Get it to a place where it's sustainable, and it doesn't matter what my circumstance is. That's the prayer to begin to pray. But you start with where you are. Notice, Jesus was was chastising them earlier on when he says, you unbelieving generation. But as soon as the dad said, I do believe, but you need to help me with my belief, all of a sudden he's, okay, now that I can work with. That I can work with. So start with exactly where you are, and I promise God will not leave you there. That's then God, isn't it? Then God happens in these types of moments when we say, I can't, but I need you to help me. So start with the faith you have, He'll meet you right there, and he will help you grow your faith. He'll do it. Third one, more of a question. What if we ask for more faith instead of more to be fixed? What if we ask for more faith than more to be fixed? It's interesting hearing the Father's dialogue with Jesus change. It started with, Jesus, if you can do anything, have pity on us and just do something and help us. He wanted him to heal his son. And Jesus says, well, that's not really... The, the root here. That's not really the issue. And then you see that the father's request changed. He started by asking for help and healing with his son, but then he said, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Do you see how that changed? He said, nowhere in that, that last part from the father did he ask Jesus to heal his son. He asked that he would have the belief and the faith in it. And then Jesus did it. Man, that order is very crucial. So often we come before God with just our list of, all right, our list of here's our fix-its. God, I need you to fix this. I need you to take care of this. I need you to do this. What if we said, God, forget all that for a second. Give me the faith to endure it. 
Give me the faith to see what you're doing with it. Because I can't see it right now. Increase my faith more than just fixing my life. That's what Jesus is interested in. He's more interested in growing our faith than just fixing our problems. We see that here with the Father. He was happy to help him grow his faith. And the byproduct of that was healing of his son. But he was focused first on helping this man's unbelief, helping this man's belief grow. So what if we started to pray that way? And we ask God, grow my faith, give me more faith, instead of just more things to get fixed and more things to get done in my life. Last thing I'd leave you with, bring your 1% to God. Bring your 1% to God. And here's what I mean by that. Don't take that out of context. Here's what I mean by that is, how do you think it makes God feel when we bring him something that we're 99% sure is already going to take care of itself? God, I've got some things going on, and, and it's pretty well taken care of. We've got it all the way to the 99-yard. We're, we're right there. We're on the goal line. 99% taken care of. Could you just, just take that one more percent? That'd be great. God's saying, I created the universe. Give me a little bit more to work with. That's not much of a miracle, is it? Instead, he says, bring me your 1%. Bring me the thing that you doubt the most. Bring me what you are 99% unsure of and 1% sure of. Then we've got a then-God moment we can work with. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what God desires. Bring our doubts to him. Bring our unbelief to him. Bring our 1% to him and say, God, no clue what to do with this. No clue how this is going to work out. No clue. Fill in the blank. And don't just fix it. Help my faith. Help my unbelief because I'm at 1% seeing this thing work out. So help my unbelief with this. That's where then God moments are cultivated. When we start here and we say, I believe this much. So God, would you grow my faith? And here's what happens when he answers those prayers to help us with our unbelief. When we pray that prayer, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. He does that. And where he wants us to be, he begins to grow us over time. This doesn't happen overnight, but we grow. And notice, the more we grow in our faith, the more we are able to reach, the more that we are able to obtain. And the more he grows our faith, again, the further we're able to see God work in our lives. And what you would have said months or maybe years ago, I never would have seen that happen. I never would have thought that was possible. Have you ever said something like that before? I never thought that would have been possible. Well, back then it wouldn't have because our reach was down here. And over the time, God has grown our faith where we're able to reach and see and obtain so much more because he has grown our faith, not necessarily fix the problems, but he's grown our faith where we can see it, we can reach it, we can obtain it. Allow God to grow your spiritual limit. Let him blow the roof off of your faith ceiling. Let your reach go beyond what you can ever do on your own. I believe Help me in my unbelief. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for, for how you respond to us. That you even would respond, that you choose to be evident, obviously evident in our lives. And that you desire to see us grow in our faith. And you know that we cannot do that strictly on our own. So God, right here, we, I would pray that first of all, we would believe if there's anyone here this morning that cannot say, I believe, may it start there with the statement, I believe. 
but not completely. <laughs> I believe, but I'm, I've got a lot of doubts. I believe, but I'm not sure of fill in the blanks. And then there's a lot of doubts that we would still have, God. But you meet us right where we're at, and but you never leave us there. So may we be able to say, I believe, but Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, we need you to fill in the gaps of our faith. Where you desire us to be is not where we can get on our own. We need you to increase our reach by growing our faith, not fixing our problems. So right here, I'm not asking you to fix anything. I'm asking you to grow the faith inside of each and every one of us so that our ability to grow is based on you, not us. That our faith is based on you, not our circumstance. May we be okay saying to you in complete honesty, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen.